Hi, filmy people. Since we last done our last podcast, a few things have changed around the world. Coronavirus 19 has spread across the nation and we are living in isolation right now in lockdown. We have decided to change the format of the podcast to continue on because like the last two and a half years, it's been an absolute privilege to make this podcast and to keep going. So please give us feedback. If you think that we should be doing things slightly differently, get in contact on Twitter. Anyway, on with the pod. In a cloud where there are already too many film podcasts, you have to ask yourself, what's the harm in one more? Two ordinary men armed with unqualified opinions. Talk filmy to me. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't forced at all. Uh, What are you playing in the background there, John? This is a ukulele, but it's got a resonator on it, so it sounds kind of kind of old. I love it. I love that sound. Anyway, more importantly, welcome, friends, to the Talk Film With Me podcast, the film podcast about news, entertainment, general pop culture. It is fair to say, with all cinemas closed and no general releases, there is no news, general releases, or general pop culture to talk about. But more importantly, though, we are back. We are talking about all that sweet, sweet fandom. Join me on the pod this time. We are using Squadcast to work virtually with each other. I'll start with my boy, Jamie. Yes, he has been hunkered down in his bunker for a little while, kind of like those guys in Day of the Dead, but definitely alive. Jamie Hannon, how you doing, pal? Not too bad, mate. Not drinking my own urine yet, so that's always a plus. (laughs) (laughs) Have you got a Wilson ball that you keep to keep you sane? (laughs) Wilson! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Growing the beard out. Nice, nice, nice. I like your beard. It's very, very, very gravelly. So anyway, moving on to my co-host, uh, the originator. He is always doing a real-life cosplay of Woody, John Descamento. How you doing, pal? Uh, I'm very, very good. Did you? I just realised this is the only, only the second time we've ever all three of us been on the same podcast, isn't it? It only took oh. the end of the world. You <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> finally roped us both in to do it at the same time. Wow. Well, this is the only time. Uh, so, you know, regular listeners will know it. There's a talk film with me WhatsApp group with all the collaborators. And it's very hard to get people all together at the same time. So usually sometimes John, sometimes Jamie, sometimes I'm in studios in London with lots of guest hosts. And uh, I was like, now nah, I've got you fucking nailed down because I know you're all at home. <laughs> no excuse. <laughs> well played. So... So before we go into the features and the new format for the pod, um, well, yeah, what, what obvious question, what have we been watching? What's been like the thing getting you through the last week or so? Well, you might have noticed that I sent you a clip of one of my very favourite films, Anaconda, the other night. I don't know why I'm going through a really shit movie phase where I'm just enjoying the crap that the sci-fi channel churns out. But oh my <laughs> God, Anaconda. I watched that as a 15-year-old and loved it obviously and i watched it again the other night and loved it but for completely different reasons it's it sent me down a john voigt's rabbit hole because i didn't know much about him other than he's a massive trump fan isn't he like a vocal he loves trump and and he angelo lee's angelo jolie's dad yes and he puts on in this movie i think he's meant to be from paraguay or someone but he puts on this sort of mexican (laughs) accent but he's obviously the whitest dude ever and it's just the funniest movie i've seen in a long time amazing you remember anaconda yeah classic is it as bad as he's um oh god so is it as bad as anthony hopkins playing zorro you know oh you're anthony hopkins (laughs) and i'm mexican (laughs) i well it got voted um the worst accent in film history by someone from the internet wow probably. but i mean i think it's a it's a fair shout see <laughs> <laughs> so that that film scared the shit out of me when i was a kid for one reason and that is the guy who ends up having a pen in his throat because right at the beginning he gets bitten by like a poisonous thing because he's you know they're in one of those jungles where everything's designed to kill you yeah. and uh all known as clacton and there's a um scene where he needs a track to me i can't pronounce it correctly but they stick a pen in his throat for the duration of the film that freaks me out far more than any of those plastic snakes did but he comes back uh just in time to push john voigt off the boat and then he goes back into his like coma state it's you know all very convenient j-lo though in her prime oh, i don't know maybe seen Hustlers. <laughs> no i have not she is incredible not just for the fact that yes okay even at 51 she can still cut it and when that stage that scene on stage where she gives the dance just <laughs> but yeah she's generally really, really good in that anyway jamie hannon what are you watching pal uh, i'm trying to complete netflix at the moment 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got a bingo card. Yeah. Uh, work- cards again. <laughs> Working my way through it. Um, yeah, a bit, a bit of everything, to be honest, mate. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm picking back up on The 100, uh, which is a TV series about uh, future generations of left Earth. They've come back. Uh, they've sent the, the young generation back down after a nuclear disaster 100 years later, seeing if Earth's inhabitable again. I only saw the first two seasons of that, so I've picked that back up again. Have you, um, did you need to see the previous 99 series? Nah, that, that was just them floating around in space, mate. It's pointless. Um, <laughs> yeah, watching a bit of Ripper Street. Got, you know, that's BBC. Um, that's on its like fourth series. Never really got into that, so I'm just watching that at the moment. Um, and yeah, uh, just a uh, you know, obviously got Disney Plus now as well as everything else. So yeah, just churning out you know, a few bits and bobs here and there, mate, filling the time. How about you? Nice. I've been so Disney Plus came out on the twenty fourth of March in the UK, which was last Tuesday, and I've been absolutely since yourself binge watching it. One of the things that's really pissed me off, right? So when Disney Plus came out in the US, I used a friend's credit card. Natalie, if you're listening, thank you for letting me use that card, and got an account for a week to try to try the, the trial. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm only going to watch the first two episodes of The Mandalorian because I want it to I want to actually watch it in the UK on my big TV in 4K. So I waited the 6 months or so. Then it came out in the UK and they're fucking drip feeding episodes, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I've already yeah. seen the first two episodes anyway. But then again, seeing Baby Yoda in 4K, like John Favreau, I love that man. Like there's nothing he can't do. Even I know John your thoughts on his Lion King remake, but that aside, he is a fucking amazing writer. And at the end of each episode of The Mandalorian, they give this artwork and it is the most beautifulest thing I've ever seen. Like someone out there who is into art or it's probably someone on deviant art or whatever. But like, if you are selling prints of that, I will buy every fucking one of them off you right now. Good sir. They are beautiful. Yeah. It's like the concept art, isn't it? Is yeah. Like they do some yeah. famous things from it. Yeah. It's just yeah. at the end, at the end of each episode, when the credits are rolling, it looks very seventies as well. Actually, mm-hmm. they play, they show the artwork from that desk. Have you been D de- have you been on Disney plus yet at all? No, I haven't. It's not come to my TiVo box, my Virgin. Where, how do you get it? <laughs> it's basically like a Netflix thing, right? So just Google Disney Plus and you can sign up for it. They're doing a week trial at the moment. I mean, everyone's fucking landing out the trials for every service at the moment. Give it a go. Virgin Media, classic for that. They're like behind behind the times. But yes, no, I am hoping to pick up on that. But I've been... You know when you, you I don't want to get stuck cracking with that. I want to finish complete Netflix like Jamie. Mm-hmm. Um, Better Call Soul. Still got about four series of that. Just finished the Tiger King, which we will get to a bit later on. But um, yeah, one thing at a time. Baby steps. Nice. Well, let's let's crack on the first of our features then. there's not much going on in cinema at the moment but there is a shit ton of stuff out on the internet we used to do a feature called streaming gems where we'll talk about the odd new release that was coming out off of the big streamers but we're going to double dive on that i'm going to call this searching the tiles where literally we are telling you the best films that have come out or resurfaced on netflix amazon prime and disney plus as well as what films that would have ended up in the cinema cycle has now gone on to digital release very very quickly what's your name boys it's a working title you happy with that yep I'll take it. There we go. Democracy <laughs> in action there. Jamie, go have your first one, man. So what what are you going to bring to the table? What platform? Well, uh, I'm going to go for, um, I forgot the name of it, Amazon Prime, sorry. Uh, so because <laughs> <laughs> I don't use it very often. But I think we've said before on this pod, haven't we, about how um, you know Netflix seems to be more about quantity than quality sometimes, whereas yeah, actually yeah, when, yeah. Amazon, when Amazon do something, they do it really well. Um, when Jeff Bezos pulls out that dick, he that's pulls it. it out hard. <laughs> that's it. <Ooh. laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, 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 recently they've had the Aeronauts out. That was a fantastic film. Really enjoyed that one. Uh, and the one that I watched recently was The Professor and the Madman, uh, which is uh, released in 2019. And it brings together Mel Gibson and Sean Penn for the very first time on the not-so-silver screen. Uh, so, <laughs> so, obviously, it's got the pen in it, so straight away it's a winner. Um, Mel, Mel Gibson is uh, re, re sort of uh, reviving his Scottish accent within it, uh, which is better than Braveheart, <laughs> but still interesting. 
But it's taken him 17 years to make this film. It's based oh on a God. book called um, The Surgeon of Crowthorn. And, uh, yeah, so he bought that the rights to that 17 years ago. It's taken him this long to get it to the to the screen. But, yeah, really good film. Uh, it's about the English Dictionary, I know. It's hard to believe that it's a good <laughs> film about the English Dictionary. Um, I, I'm not really selling this at the moment. It's got Mel Gibson, Sean Penn, and it's about a dictionary. Uh, so, someone called Colin. There's got to be someone called Colin in it, surely. It's a film about dictionaries. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry to let you down, mate. But it is about the Oxford um, Dictionary, though. So rather than the so comma, what's, what's this actually about? What, about the fucking birth of a comma? Like, What's the actual story <laughs> of this film? So, essentially... They've been struggling to sort of catalogue the English language for ages about origins of words, what they mean, and they see this as a really important step for sort of England because like other countries are coming up with dictionaries and so on. So they're really motivated to create a dictionary and they hire this, who's called the professor, they hire Mel Gibson, who has no qualification. So, you know, they look down his nose at him a little bit and he, but he is, well versed in multiple languages including dead languages and so on so it starts off a bit like oh, what's this film about it's just about him making a dictionary whoop de doo um, and they get stuck on letters and so on the idea is about building up the volumes and so on and so on um, and they get they get stuck for a long time and suddenly he comes up with this idea of going to the people like what words do you want included in the dictionary How, what do you know about them where did um, you know, where, you know, where do you use this word and so on and so the idea is that went out into lots of books, into uh, sort of you know, bookshops. So people bought it, and there was a slip, and people wrote it on a bit of paper. And so this is where the madman comes in, this sort of American doctor who uh, is essentially what it comes about. That he's got PTSD, and he's struggling with the demons from the Civil War, and he ends up killing a man very early on in the film in London. As a result, he's um, sent away to Broadmoor, but he is. Uh, you know, a bit of a, a genius, and they they do talk about the fine line between sanity and genius within the film, um, and they joke about which one's which. And these two sort of spark up a friendship when the the madman Sean Penn starts writing to Mel Gibson uh, and actually manages to catalogue ten thousand words for him. You know, including where they come from, origins, derivations, and it's more about the sort of the characters and the people themselves more than the dictionary, and about how this sort of friendship blossoms out of. Um, that of you know just the love of words really um i don't think i'm doing the film justice at all but it is a really really good film really heartwarming film uh it's got some really dark parts parts to it as well but yeah as, as a as a bit of a drama it's a it's a really really good good film nice nice how long is it it feels like this sort of thing could be dragged out but if it's timed right it could be quite good uh yeah it's about an hour and 20 i think <laughs> it wasn't ah, good good enough. Yeah, they did. They didn't. They didn't stream it out for longer than it needed to be. They, they, yeah. and it, and it felt longer, but not in a bad way. It felt like it. The, the film sort of crescendoed where it needed to, and you know, it, it didn't. It wasn't rushed. It wasn't forced. It was just a really nice overview. Um, nice. Is it one of those films that you can have on in the background, or do you need to actually really focus? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you've got no, to be in the mood to actually stare at the screen to take it in, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think I think you've got to give it some focus. It's not an easy. It's not. Um, it's not an easy watching film, but it's it's not challenging at the same time. But it is easy to lose the meaning behind the film if you're not giving it your full attention. If that makes sense, so mm. you know, you know, with Sean Penn's character, he's a very twisted individual who's, who's who's twisted because he's done some bad things and he hates himself for doing the bad things. It's about him trying to atone for his um, for his you know the, the decisions that he's made and, and you know, trying to make right with those things as well, like. He tries to give all his pension to the widow of the of the, of the man he killed. Um, so yeah, it's, it's it's a bit of an inner turmoil sort of film as well. But it's definitely worth giving your full attention to. You don't want to have this in the background because you'll miss some key parts. Nice man, nice. Good thing that it was set in a bit more olden times because I reckon if they try to make that film now, uh, the word that everyone would vote on would be Boatie McBoatface. What score <laughs> would you give it? I would actually give it four out of five, which I think is one nice. of the nice. Yeah. Nice. Out the bat before out of five. So, Deska, take us next to the next tile, man. Mm. What streaming service and what film are you recommending this week? I've got the pleasure of doing the one that everyone's talking about, The Tiger King uh, on Netflix. It's a seven-part docuseries about the kind of ugly underbelly underworld in America of this big cat trade, which is just 
completely batshit. They've basically been trying to, a bit of backstory, been trying to shut this down. Uh, a lot of political movements have been trying to shut the big cat and exotic animal ownership down in America for a long time without success. So there's varying laws, but basically there's a lot of people that do it. There's 10,000 big tigers in America and there's 4,000 out in the wild in the world. Just to put sum that up, it's kind of Fast mental. Out. So mm. it kind of revolves around Joe Exotic. He is a man. <laughs> Let me just describe him in the <laughs> words of one of the kind of guys on the show. So a completely insane gay gun-toting drug addict uh, <laughs> in the middle of bumfuck Oklahoma. So that's... Uh, that's how he's summed up by his, his peers. Uh, so it kind of revol- revolves around his zoo that he created with what seemingly good intentions about 25 years ago, uh, but has become more of a kind of tourist trap, come pet the baby tigers, uh, you know, possibly euthanizing them after they've been, uh, when they've gotten too big for that, because they, they eat like 10,000 dollars worth of walmart meat a year each of them and he has like over 200 on his farm so it's just it's an amazing series i've got to say uh have you guys seen it i've yes. heard a lot about this on the internet a lot of people have been memeing it and putting a bunch of stuff on there but no, i haven't had the pleasure of seeing this one yet so mr yeah. joe exotic gets themselves in a, a lot of uh issues you kind of from the first episode you get uh a lot of sound bites of him on the phone which suggests things didn't go so well from him maybe he's calling from jail uh so it's not really a spoiler to say it, yeah it didn't go well for him and it kind of suggests that he was part of a murder for hire uh what would you say controversy so this is all building up uh to ultimately the end of the series but so he has this kind of nemesis um carol who has uh, her own big cat thing but she's trying to save them and and trying to uh not breed them and get them back to the wild so this kind of back and forth he absolutely hates her and ultimately is the one he's <laughs> she's the one he tries to get killed apparently uh but i mean this series is from the word go it's it's completely captivating you know how you see a sci-fi movie and you're like it feels like you're taken to another world and it's just fascinating Mm -hmm. this is like that but it's on earth and it is happening because these people are just so over the top and out of this world and they they live in these little kind of communy cult things almost like you're watching westboro baptist church or something where it's like you just can't really comprehend their way of life um but it's it's insane. It's completely entertaining, and the filmmaker Eric Good, I believe his name is, does a really like Louis Theroux esque job of like remaining impartial and just letting them say whatever the fuck they want and letting them spout their nonsense and not just kind of letting you decide how everything goes uh which has been a little bit controversial on carol's side the sort of uh and her husband they kind of refuted a lot of it and said it was lies because there's a certain episode that intimates that she murdered her husband and kind of revels in that conspiracy a little bit so she's not very happy about it but it does make for a bit more entertaining viewing if you ask me so you know now half the world thinks you're a murderer carol but to be fair at least we're entertained so that's something (laughs) but um yeah seven part series the other thing i will say about this it it follow a lot of netflix sort of docuseries and series to be fair you get the feeling that every episode is just its own thing and it tackles a certain uh thing rather than being a linear sort of timeline and this does that a really great job of like there's a episode that kind of delves into Joe Exotic's political career because he ran for president. I don't know if you knew that. Probably not. Uh, he got you're, not lamb- you're not really a nutball until you've run for president <laughs> at some point, right? Exactly. He he got lampooned by John Oliver and he absolutely milked it. Like as, every time that clip gets shown, more people came to his zoo and stuff. So um, it's... But it does a really good job of taking each episode, kind of uh, ha- making it its own kind of documentary. It's like seven documentaries in one almost, and they're all completely fascinating. So I hope I've sold it to you because 
in these times, this would normally be a kind of week or two's binge, seven episodes, 40, 50 minutes long. Uh, I'm thinking it's going to take you less than two days because uh, you will just be like, oh, I definitely want to spend more time in this absolutely lunatic world of big cat ownership in America. Um, and it goes into the monkeys. Apparently, I'll just do another quote for you because it's pretty fascinating. Uh, so <laughs> let me just up oh, the monkey people are a little bit different. They're a bit strange, apparently. So they're not saying the big cat people are strange. <laughs> so you, you'll see you'll kind of get the feel for the documentary. But um, I would I think I'd give it a four out of five. Uh, it's definitely morally questionable. A lot of it. I mean, it doesn't do that much that good a job of highlighting the uh mor- morality of owning these big animals and stuff which is maybe getting criticized for um it's definitely le- earning uh sorry um leaning more towards like conspiracy theories because it's more entertaining but it is very entertaining and in the no one died in the end it was just a murder for hire that went wrong so i think right. we can all- enjoy it don't you know not like don't fuck with cats where you know you're like oh i feel really murky this one you feel slightly less murky but still morally questionable but that's kind of what we're coming to expect from netflix isn't it (laughs) very true the fact that they can churn out a pandemic uh, documentary two weeks into the coronavirus says it all really but jamie you've seen this as well haven't you what's your thoughts on it yeah, uh, i think john uh, john has uh sort of summed that up beautifully there it is absolutely insane um incre- <laughs> incredibly entertaining like you just you do want to know what's going to happen to this guy like from one minute his political aspirations to wrestling around with a tiger um there was one great scene as well where um he actually he claims that his boat his boots were soaked in some sort of i don't know pheromone yeah. or something and he gets attacked by a tiger in the cage who attacks his feet and then drags him away he's trying to hit it with his like walking stick cane thing and in the end has to fire a couple of shots up in the air and then goes and confronts the the tigers and threatens to shoot them in the face um (laughs) so it is it is just absolutely insane um and i you know and you go from i mean it's not like one of these netflix series where you you end up doubting his innocence or you know like like john was saying like don't fuck cats and stuff we think oh is there another guy involved or you know I, I generally think he is 100% guilty, but I just don't think he was bright enough or, you know, intelligent enough or, or was so obsessed that he got caught up in, in this sort of little world of, of his thinking he was the king of the castle. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely guilty. <laughs> Do you feel the same, John? Yeah, I would say, I would say he's probably doing it. Um, but, I mean, he, he pissed enough people off that they – made him guilty almost and he basically he had this online tv show where he was threatening to kill her (laughs) jokingly on a sort of daily basis um but it's 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 sort of a reality tv just to give you a backstory as well this was a reality tv show that was meant to happen that ended up not happening that's why they've got all this absolute killer footage that they've because uh, there's been other things like this reality tv shows went wrong and end up as netflix sort of crime series um, <laughs> i'm sure there'll be more in the future so nice yeah. so there we go so we'll move from netflix we'll talk about something that's on disney plus you might not be aware that as part of your disney plus subscription you don't just get access to star wars pixar the disney back catalog and fox movies also national geographic and all of their back catalog and what i'm going to recommend this week is a documentary called free solo it came out in 2018 i believe in 2019 it won the oscar for best documentary and it was fucking rightfully deserved this is following a gentleman called alex Basically, Alex is a free soloist. For those who don't know what that is, that's basically people who climb up mountains with no equipment whatsoever at their own pace on their own, or as I like to call them, nutters. But anyway, this guy has been a very successful free soloist for a very, very long time. There is one particular elusive cliff. It is called El Capitan. It is in America. It is a cliff that no one dares to try and climb up. Guess what he tries to do? Uh, obviously, I won't go into spoilers about it, but it's documenting his journey from training for this to attempting this and what happens during the climb itself. Now, I am going to be honest. Jamie, you're a, you're, you're my best man at my wedding. You planned my stag party. You planned for me to climb up shit. Why did you do that, Jamie? 
Because you're absolutely okay. terrified of heights, mate. Because I'm fucking terrified of heights. I have vertigo up the wazoo. <laughs> I can't even watch... Like, you know in Mission Impossible, I think it's Ghost Recall, the one where he's climbing up the, the tower in Dubai? Like, my yeah. hands are basically puddles, right? I, I am very, very squeamish of heights. This film is triggering that and then some. This is shot in glorious 4K. You know, uh, drone cameras following him around where he's climbing up this thing. Unassisted with just his hands and feet and a bit of talcum powder. I will barely leave the house in just that scenario, let alone climb up a damn mountain, right? And it is so, so beautifully shot. The, the pacing of it is great. It does the whole talking head thing from time to time. Yes, we've seen that, you know, about the him talking about his loved ones and his loved one's head popping up going, I don't agree with it. And then him going, well, I don't care. I'm doing, yeah, it's that sort of trope you expect it, but he does it very, very well. Um, this is directed by a person called Jimmy Chin as well, Elizabeth Chai. And um, yeah, I don't really know what more to say other than it's a fucking ride. It is so good. Um, one of the things though, one of the gripes I have is that it does like the typical like Top Gear thing of this is the map of what we're going to do. And we'll check in on this map from time to time to show you where he is climbing up this mountain. Now they, decide like to show you at the beginning him starting the climb and you think all right that's cool and then literally they come back like five minutes and go yeah he's done 600 feet I'm like what i want to see what <laughs> happened over those 600 feet but bear in mind it is 3,000 feet the entire scale so obviously they've only got 90 minutes for this documentary so i don't obviously want to pace it out a bit better and it basically focuses on the key points like he keeps talking about a lot of like basically these climbers they have to map this out with meticulous detail to make sure obviously they don't fall to their deaths. So he was talking about the things that are coming up that he's going to be very scared of. And they broke it into sections and then they'll, they'll basically visit him on these sections to see how he's doing. And it's obviously they're not going to show someone fall to their death in a documentary. So you kind of know where this is going to go, but it's <laughs> still got peril. It's still got, it's still your heart is racing throughout the whole time. Your hands are sweaty as fuck. And like I say, it's just shot really, really well. Um, you know, when I always, look at documentaries and review them i think it's either got to educate me or it's got to show me something that i didn't think was possible and although i'm a bit more educated in the world of free selling you know I'm, i can go my rest of my life without knowing that sort of stuff but more importantly the views are absolutely fantastic it showed me the world in a light i could never have seen otherwise this is a great documentary i'm going five out of five free solo available Ooh. on disney plus Bang. I would definitely agree. I think I saw it on the plane um, coming back from America and I was just like mesmerized. And uh, I watched it with my wife, actually, whose brother is like into rock climbing. And that community is it's a crazy community. It's like a lot of them know someone that's died from doing this kind of stuff. So it's so dangerous. Mm. Uh, and the fact the the feat that this guy did is just like it's well worth your your time because it's just completely ludicrous what he got up to in this documentary oh my god right and um the fact that like you say so many people do not like there's not many gray-haired people that do that and the reason why unfortunately is because there's always that one job too much it's that one thing of the ego and they talk about it. they make it a big point that you know a lot of people die doing this and a lot of people tend to die doing this is because they went a little bit too long they went a little bit too far and alex has to deal with that internally of this is the hardest thing anyone will ever do and at some point i'm not going to be able to make that jump or i'm not going to think about my footing correctly and then it's curtains for me and and there's they also look at the physiology of people that do this regularly right so he goes and has an mri scan and they show the kind of parts of the brain that show about fear and all that sort of stuff and like he's not trying to make it out like he has a superpower to not feel fear he is just of a genetic makeup that makes him less susceptible for fear which means he kind of sees the world slightly differently and that's great when you're young and able but as your body starts to deteriorate that's when it goes wrong and he has the wrestle of a lot of that uh, throughout this documentary. Um, yeah, absolute banger. And um, to wrap up the reviews about what's on the tiles, I'm going to talk about films that are now uh, either were in a cinema and moved over to digital or digital releases that have been pushed forward in light of a window for downloading. And I'm going to go with Knives Out. Uh, we reviewed this on the podcast towards the end of last year. It made it snuck in to our film of the year list. It's an absolute classic Brian Johnson. It was released last week on digital downloads across all your, I don't know what the right things called services to get this. It's a whodunit murder mystery starring Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc mm -hmm. and a 
basically he's been called in on a case where a media empire guru has been murdered or suspected murdered and he has been brought in to solve the case if you want to go real in depth then you know i'll share a link to our review from last year we gave it five out of five we stand by that it holds up john i know you're going to watch this if you had chance you had a chance to catch this yet no i haven't i watched anaconda instead yeah <laughs> I just don't want to fork out, fork out the money. We're not used to buy, paying for stuff, are we? I'm like, oh, I could wait. But no, I do really want to see this because I need a good film in my life after watching Anaconda and Prince of Thieves yesterday. Well, exactly. What, this what segment is even more important then <laughs> because your hard-earned scratch needs to be spent on only the best. And I can guarantee you that Knives Out is into that category. Now, Jamie, I know the name Ryan Johnson is kind of a swear house in the mm. Hannon household, but I have to say... If this is what the dude can do when he's not working on Star Wars, then long may it continue. Like, this is, I don't want to call it the redemption because that sounds like I'm really fucking preach your pretentious or up my own ass about this, but this is a redemption, right? Like, if you don't like Star Wars or his version of Star Wars with The Last Jedi, put that to one side. Like, it's nothing to do with Star Wars. It's not that. He's done a, a love letter to classic murder mysteries. Uh, literally, there's a scene where someone's watching Murder She Wrote in the background. Like, there's always lots of homages to the world whilst Ryan Johnson's laying his own foundations and in Benoit Blanc they have got a character that I think will go on for a very very long time there's a bunch of films in the uh, movies in the works now and it's great to see Daniel Craig having some fun with a role so Jamie if you haven't seen it I highly highly recommend it oh I'll check it out I mean the thing that was putting me off was on Sky it's 15.99 uh, so. <laughs> I, think, I think you can rent it right now on Amazon. I think you can purchase it on Amazon oh, for right. $9.99. But it's definitely worth a rent and it's definitely worth purchasing to own if you have a UHD TV. Give it a go. So there you have it. That is your things to browse on your tiles for this week. Talk, film it to me. Talk, film it to you. Talk, film it to me. Talk, film it to you. Now, I was looking through some of our... (laughs) (laughs) Keep that in. That's going going in at the end. That's going in at the end now. Blue for real. Blue for real. (laughs) Fucking hell. Jamie just sits there. He completely uncle bucks that and just fucking (laughs) fell back. Amazing. All right, all right, all right. right. Talk, film it to me. Talk, film it to you. I was going through some of our old press invites uh, over the year, just a a little bit bit nostalgic, but I couldn't help but notice on top of all movie posters and all of our press invites, I was looking specifically at... um, uh, a Quiet Place Part 2, where we're scheduled to go to the press screen for that, that got cancelled. And that was pretty much the signal of films stopping because that was going to be the big cinematic release that year. And uh, also that, that week anyway. And uh, on the invite, it said, from the team that bought you A Quiet Place. And I was just like, man, that is like a thing on posters where it's like, from the team that bought you it, make you something else. So I said to the lads, okay, so for one of our features, which is going to be more filmy rather than newsy, what movies would you like to see tackled or IP that's being tackled by another team? So take a team that's made something and give them a franchise and see what they do with it. And, you know, we've got a few lists. We've got to spitball some ideas off that. I'm going to kick off. John, I know you love a good Fincher movie. A good Fincher movie, I do. Yeah. Go on, hit me. All right, all right. So I would love to see David Fincher, so the team that bought you Seven and Mindhunter and other slow-burning detective films. <laughs> I, would, I would generally love to see David Fincher tackle Sherlock Holmes. Like, the whole concept of, like, murder mystery and all that sort of stuff, yeah, he's all good at that. But he likes to get into the psychological aspects of that. And, I mean, he could fucking do it. I mean, set it in modern times. I don't know how you'd do it, but do, like, a modern Sherlock with David Fincher tracking down some fucks up killer. I would love that shit. I would watch it all day. That would be cool. But do you not feel like... The BBC Sherlock is good enough to not warrant a remake for a few... I, I sort of feel like it's got to be at least 10 years since the last good thing. All right, okay, how I said it in the 90s. Yeah. Right, so it's a bit period already, we right? The 90s. Yeah, we all love the 90s. And just make it the most fucked up killers. So, like, I don't know, like the, the decapitating rapist, you know, <laughs> like really... That's like the BBC would never dare touch. And, like, cast your Sherlock as someone completely the anti-Cumberbatch instead then. So that it really is like, almost Danny like a night and day difference. 
Danny DeVito. (laughs) 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 Yes, that would be the greatest thing ever. I'm in. Take all my money. Take all my money. All right, okay. All right. It it, it might not, maybe not a Fincher movie at this point, but Danny DeVito as your Sherlock Holmes and Arnold Schwarzenegger as your Moriarty. There we go. Oh, yes. Oh, my cry. He'll come back for twins. <laughs> He'll come back for twins. But uh, anyway, speaking of like the the comedy route, one the I think one of the most surprised packages of comedy over the last sort of probably five years is uh, Lord and Tim Miller, the guys who redone the Lego Movie, who co-produce um, uh, Into the Spider Verse. They also know Twenty One Jump Street movies. Now. I'd love to see. I mean, they're really good at taking a kid's IP and turning it into something which is not only not only like an adult theme, but still great for childhood. It kind of captures your childhood imagination, which all audiences can really like. I'd love them to see. You know, remember Rugrats, the TV show? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I don't. There was a movie, what, wasn't there? There was. There was two movies actually. Uh, oh. There was a movie where they had the dog started talking and. Bruce Willis was voicing the dog because <laughs> because why not at that point? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you'll do it as a cartoon, but from the team that bought you Lego Movie, I'd love to see what they could do with. But only one condition, right? Uh, there's a voice actress called Tara Strong. She voiced Angelica on Rugrats, but she also is the original voice of Harley Quinn in the Batman animated TV show. You need to get her involved still because it'll be weird if she wasn't involved. But anything else is fair game, whether you go down animation or... Well, it's got to be animation, really. Like, uh, maybe computer or something. I think there's yeah. enough 20, 30-somethings who have a soft spot for Rugrats that that would be an immediate success, actually. Yeah, exactly, right? Like, no one's fucking touching that IP. Like, Nickelodeon are just sitting on that shit right now. I think Nickelodeon... Sorry, is that? You're going to make that one dark and edgy too. A dark no, and edgy no. Rugrats. No. Well, no. Wasn't, <laughs> wasn't there a theory about Rugrats as well? Like where all the kids were dead or something. And, and and Angelica was the only one who was alive. And she was imagining all of them. And like yeah. Chuck's mum who died in a car crash or something. He'd actually died and they'd all died in that car crash. Something like that. Wasn't, isn't there like a really dark... <laughs> Second meaning behind it. I've read yeah. that as well, Jamie. It, yeah, it's messed yeah. up, but it makes perfect sense. Oh so. my god! Okay, okay. So from yeah. the team that bought you Lost <laughs> brings you Rugrats. They were all dead all along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, make it an M Night Shyamalan movie. But um, but another thing that I'd like another thing I like to see right. So um, we'll, we'll talk about horror for a second, right? Uh, I think Bloomhouse have been like fucking revolutionary in in the horror world, right, in terms of you think about their Paranormal Activity movies, also the sort of stuff they produced with James Wan, I think it's James Wan, with stuff like, um, oh, God, what's it called? The Nun, which is part of the Conjuring universe, all that sort of stuff. Great guys, like amazing, amazing, amazing people. I'd like them to take, tackle, I mean, it's, it's kind of like an obvious thing for them to do, but I'd like them to stay in horror, and I'd like them to take a classic franchise, which has been done several times, but I'd like to see their take on the Amityville horror. Yeah, they always seem to grind them in realism a little bit. Yeah. Make them, you know, like apparently the Invisible Man, which is the latest film they produced, only only costs like 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 fifty million dollars to make, even though it's gross like three hundred million now. So mm. like they they are so good with stretching their pounds that let's see what they can do. If they had a massive budget and done the Amityville horror, like that was a classic classic horror film. Yeah, no, I'll say yeah. it. That's a good horror one. Do you know what hasn't been done for a while though? What? A good spoof movie, and you know who hasn't been around doing them for a while? It's because Leslie Nielsen died. Like when he, he what? So no one can ever do a spoof again? Well, no, but only he yeah. done them well. That's the rules. That, oh, that, should, that should be the fucking rules. Mr. Jesus Mike Christ. Myers, come on, Austin oh, Powell all right, okay, is okay. a spoof. Oh, okay. Wayne's oh, World is kind of a spoof. Mike Myers needs to come and cheer us up in our in our time of need. Uh, and what genre has not been done very well, spoof-wise? Oh, have you got an answer? Are you waiting for us to give you an answer? Well, I had a suggestion. Okay, what's I'm your thinking, suggestion? Well, can you name me one good spoof mob mob movie? So thinking gangster movie spoof. Ooh. There have been a couple, but you won't be able to name them. I can't name them for the oh, oh, there is that one, isn't there? The one where um, oh, it's like a rip-off of The Godfather. It's called and The it Godson. Has... 
Is that what it is? Yeah. Is it Godson? Yeah. Oh, right, yeah. It's called The Godson. I, I'd never seen it, but I thought I'd have a look just to see if there was one. Because I thought it was a good idea. Why isn't gangster movies... They've never not been popular, but they've never been spoofed properly. Maybe it's because you'll get, you know, cap on your, cap in your ass if you if you do it. You don't want to take the piss out of these <laughs> fellas. But um, I think a spoof mob movie with Mike Myers playing the sort of Marlon Brando-esque king would be an absolute match made in heaven what do you reckon I'll, i i i see your mike myers and work. instead of making him a marlin well. brando i i would see him doing something like a almost like a snatch gangster movie he right? could do that like, too so i didn't realize do you remember in glorious bastards yeah Right, you know that scene where they they're in England and very briefly the generals like briefing them, and that's Mike Myers. Like that's the that's the only like role Mike Myers has done in like the last decade because after the Love Guru came out, it fucking crushed him, and uh, for whatever reason he's stepped away from making stuff at the moment. And but he was mm. it's like for that one scene, he fucking he was hilarious, he was serious, and his British accent is on point. I'll mm. show me like a snatch gangster movie with him in the lead but i gotta say your marlon brando is good as well now let's just say let's bring back mike myers get his confidence get his mojo going maybe it's like a nutty professor thing where mike myers plays everyone you know oh, he does I'll the english good gangster. Money for that. he does the marlon brando italian gangster he does it all um so <laughs> i'm starting a p- petition i think we need to get him back because we need some proper spoofs i agree I agree. I also think that Mike Myers is one of those only actors who probably there's very few actors who could do that. Literally play everyone, and it's not shit. I know Jamie's about to pipe up and tell me that one with Adam Sandler playing him and his sister, <laughs> but I refuse to accept that, dude. <laughs> no, I want to argue that 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 is probably his shittest film, but it's not awful. I just like to throw it out there. It's, it's a light-hearted <laughs> comedy. You got to enjoy it. Another one who's good at doing that, Eddie Murphy, Nutty Professor. Very true, very yeah. true. And he's done it in a couple of films as well, coming to America. Yeah. Uh, and he seems to, I mean, the fact that maybe there's something in common, right? Because, like, Eddie Murphy pulled away from acting for a bit and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, lost his mojo and then came back with My Name is Dolomite, or Dolomite is My Name, and absolutely killed it. So maybe, maybe we get Mike Myers back. Although, um, so just, in terms oh, of. Oh, I was just going to say, I've just thought of another uh, gangster spoof movie, though Mafia with an exclamation mark at the end of it, had Lloyd Bridges in it. Yes! And there's a bit where he's running, yeah. chasing after that kid with the orange in his mouth, hasn't he? And then he's got, and then he gets sprayed with something and dies, like a pesticide. Run, florist! Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, I just remembered another one. That was a good one. Is that, what year was that from? 90... I don't remember That's that. got Leslie, New- that's got Leslie Nielsen in it as nah, well, not it? I think it's Lloyd Bridges who looks like Leslie Nielsen, I think. Really? Uh, yeah. I always thought it was. It came out in 98, but I think it was set in the 70s. Maybe. Oh. It's been a long time ago since oh, I've seen Oh, well, it. there you go. Nice. I've not seen that one. It's, it's so 20 years. That's fine. You, you've not lost out on not seeing it. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> <laughs> no real loss. Right. So other, other franchises I would like to see rebooted by other teams. So now. I gotta say, Wonder Woman is you know, I it's up there as one of the best comic book movies, you know, pretty much uh, of the list of all time. Paddy Jenkins is a great director. She managed to bring a lot of heart to that franchise and managed to kind of make a kind of a cheesy character uh, done really well. Uh, very much inspired by Richard Donner's Superman. You can see elements of the Christopher Reeve ness in there. And I was thinking, okay, what sort of franchise? Yeah, you can kind of tell my age by the shit I'm suggesting in this. But what franchise, which was really really cheesy, but if done right especially in a time when the world is falling apart due to global warming, could be done really well if you had the right people behind it. And I would love to see Patty Jenkins and her team tackle Captain Planet. Oh, yes. I'll take Captain Planet. Yeah. 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 Who would you get? To, who would you get to be the dude in uh, speedos? Right? Like, how how can you make that fucking relevant? Of five kids put rings together, and then some mysterious blue man turns up with using elemental powers to stop like BP from fucking the ocean and stuff. Like, it's, it'll be hard to do, but I think if you can do it right, you know, go lean into the cheese, lean into the you know the the Boy Scoutness of it, and I think Paddy Jenkins has proven she can take 
any franchise and make it relevant whilst at the same time keeping the heart of it true. And, you know, I would think maybe if Richard Donald was still around, like someone like him could also do it, obviously in that original Superman movie. But I'd love to see that. Was Captain Planet a thing for you boys growing up? Definitely. Do you know what I'd most look forward to hearing? You know how there's a dark and mysterious version of the title song? Captain hmm. Planet, da 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 da. Really over the over emotional, over the top version of that theme tune, which is legendary, as we all know. Yeah, man. Gonna take pollution down to zero. <laughs> Another really, really catchy theme tune in the same era was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, I know it was rebooted not too long ago. Nickelodeon are currently sitting on top of that franchise right now, even though they're not going to continue on with the reboots they've done recently of Michael Bay. I would like to see another bite of the cherry with this. Now, anyone, sidebar, if you watch The Toys That Make Us on Netflix, there is a Turtles episode, which is just absolutely brilliant. I really, really highly recommend watching that. But... I'd like to see a different take on this. Now, what's the cool thing about it? Yes, we know they're mutants. Yeah, they've done that shit before. But it's the the fighting stuff, right? It's the choreography. I'd love to see the team that made the raid somehow tackle the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Like, imagine, like, that fucking, like, those elevator scenes, the stairway fights, that done with four grotesque ninjas beating the shit out of hundreds of people. Take my money now. Fucking, I want it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Turtle fatigue, though. That's all I'm saying. Turtle fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can handle anymore. Uh, you know, it's one of them franchises. It's like I got it with Spider-Man every time a new one come out. And I know Into the Spider-Verse is good, but I'm like, my life has just been littered with Spider-Men of all shapes and sizes. <laughs> and I am sort of feel that way about Turtles. Thundercats, on the other hand, got a bit of room for. Yes. There hasn't been enough Thundercats going on. <laughs> Definitely need some more of that. Yeah, yeah. Who would you get to do it, though? Who who would be, like, the right people behind it? Well, well a bit, as long as it ain't Michael Bay. Don't, get, don't let Michael Bay near it. <laughs> yeah, he could pull Sorry, it. who? I said Joe Exotic. He knows about his cats. <laughs> well, there, there we go. There we go. Well, let's, let's, ask, let's ask the community out there. Guys, Thundercats, who would make it, who would star in it, and what would the storyline be? Just to finish off, I've got one last suggestion. The classic 80s movie... It captured my childhood, and I know it captured a lot of other people's. Flight of the Navigator. I would like to see that redone, and I'd like to see Mr. Edgar Wright's take on this. Like Ooh. him with his his boys of Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. Like I don't know how they'll be involved, but get those guys involved. It they would do it so well, and it would you know, and you know they grew up in it as well. Like you know that it'll be in their real house to like make that perfect. No, they could do Gremlins as well. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Gremlin done by, by uh, those guys. That would be incredible. And Nick Nick Frost as the main character and Simon Pegg to voice all of the, the Gremlins. Well, let's just throw the Princess's Bride in there for the new Conetto tr- trilogy. There we go. Flight and Navigator, Gremlins, Princess's Bride, the new Conetto trilogy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Take my fucking money now. Take my- I did have one idea when John was talking earlier. <coughs> Was um, you weren't listening? Oh my! I Lord. was listening. You had a, you were, no. You gave you inspired me. You said Louis Farouk. <laughs> I would like to see Louis Farouk's team tackle flat earthers. Whether that's like his Scientology movie or like a, a documentary, I don't know. But Louis, if you're listening, I've listened. To, have you listened to his latest um, autobiography? Got to get Farouk this. Um, it's really, really interesting. Really, really fucked up. But um, I'd love to. I'm see surprised him he hasn't done nose. flat earthers. There is there is a really good flat earth documentary, but it was missing a Louis Farouk to sort of host it and and push push it forward. So yeah, Absolutely. you're on something there, Bernie. Absolutely. Well, what other franchises would you like to see or hear about? Uh, get in contact with us on Twitter at Talk Filming to Me. So again, the premise is film franchises you'd love to see a famous team or team of directors tackle on. Uh, we we asked for Thundercats. What else do you think should be there as well? You have no idea what you have unleashed. What the hell? You are alive because you were cursed by the ultimate evil. Welcome to a new world of gods and monsters. 
saw that, right? It has been two years since the infamous trilogy of films known as The Dark Universe was canned. For the uninitiated, Universal Pictures owns the rights to a bunch of classic monster movies. They have been making movies in these franchises for many years. And after seeing the success of franchises like The Avengers and The Avengers, they decided that they wanted to have a piece of the action too. So they come up The Dark Universe and they kicked it off the first movie in 2017 starring Tom Cruise based around The Mummy. And it was going to birth a whole franchise of movies concluding with a finale movie called The Dark Universe. Now, because of the success, or lack of success, I should say, for The Mummy, they decided to can all this. There was a massive photo shoot of all the cast together, and they were like, yeah, this is our shit. They hired loads of people. They built a building inside um, Universal parking lot to be able to try and house all the people that were going to be writing on this. And unfortunately, it was all canned. To let us think what could have been. So I asked the guys, based on this Dark Universe movie, what would be your build-up to this? What would be your franchise? Now, just to give you some of the cast that was announced at this point. So Luke Evans was Dracula. In fact, there was a prequel movie called Dracula Untold that was linked into this. Obviously, Tom Cruise was playing a character called Nick Morton, who was created for this mummy movie. And Sophia Botella was actually the mummy. Uh, the Invisible Man was cast. It was Johnny Depp. He was going to be playing that. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that was introduced in The Mummy, was played by none other than Russell Crowe. The next movie that was scheduled to be released was The Bride of Frankenstein. They never cast The Bride, so you can do your own fictional cast in there, but they did cast Frankenstein's monster as none other than Javier Bardem. There's also been other casting that was being linked at the time. The creature from the Black Lagoon was heavily hinted on, but he never got to that point. So anyway, lads, while you're scrambling your stuff together, do you want to hear my pitch? Yeah, I would just just can I just jump in quickly before there, Flip? Because my understanding yeah. is is they've got rid of the link between the films, but they're still going to pursue the Dark Universe films. Like the the Invisible Man that's just come out is a Universal Studios film. Am I am I wrong there or? It- no, 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 no. So good, good question, Jamie. And it's good to ask questions. So essentially, films that were originally slated to continue on, they changed completely. They're not linked in the dark universe whatsoever. So The Invisible yeah. Man did come out. It came out recently. It was one of the. It was actually the last film we reviewed before the Dark Ages set in. And essentially, that film is not linked to the Dark Universe whatsoever. It's an Invisible Man movie, but it might as well not be called that. It might as well be called The Victim of the Invisible Man because it centers around Elizabeth Moss and it's nothing to do with the Dark Universe or that sort of world. So these characters will still continue on. There's a reason why. Uh, due to licensing laws, Universal Pictures have an obligation to keep using that IP over a period of time. So, for example, if they do not do anything with Dracula for the next 10 years, then that becomes public domain, which means anyone could go make a Dracula movie. Universal Pictures don't want to do this, so films will continue. These characters will still continue, just not in this idea they had of a interconnected universe which ultimately has a franchise movie at the end of it. Yeah, fair enough. Makes sense? Yep. Awesome. Right. So with that in mind, lads, do you want to, do you want to hear my pitch? Go for right? it. For what, what, what could have been. Okay. So these characters do exist, right? So we'll still continue on in this film, but my big bad, so you got to have a big bad, right? You know, the Avengers had Thanos, you had dark side for, um, for the DC universe. And you know, you've got Vin Diesel against Corona, uh, in the fast and furious franchise. My big bad, I'm going to twist it. My big bad is Van Housing. Right. So the good guy from that. Right. So if you've not seen The Mummy, basically, there's like a secret organization called Prodigum, who is basically like the equivalent of S.H.I.E.L.D. uh, in those Avengers movies. So here's my pitch for it. After the events of Dracula Untold, Van Housing's family are killed in collateral damage. They're not actually anything part of this, but Van Housing is set on a mission to find all the paranormal creatures in the world and bring them to an end and forms the organisation that is later used upon in The Mummy. During his expeditions around the world in these ancient Victorian times, he finds the blade that eventually becomes the blade being used in The Mummy to bring Tom Cruise back to life, but no one's aware of this at this point. He uses it to make it different various experiments in his secret organisation, and that is where the Invisible Man 
gets comes into it. He becomes invisible because this fucking knife and something bad happens. Anyway, writers could solve that problem. <laughs> and essentially, Van Housing decides he wants to get the same power that Dracula has. Now, anyone who hasn't seen Dracula Untold, basically at the end of that movie, he disappears and then reappears in modern times because they're trying to connect that into the universal movies. And essentially, Van Housing becomes a Dracula by seeking these powers and locks himself away only to reawaken and become the big bad of the dark universe. At this point, it's modern times, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde's there, Russell Crowe still running the show and you've still got Dracula wandering around. You've still got like the Frank, all that stuff happens, but the bad guy is Van Housing. That's the twist. What do you think boys? Is there a reason why this sucked? (laughs) No, I think all you need to do is, is add some dialogue and you've got a movie right there. There we go. Hollywood, make it happen. Make it happen. Well, they need to keep their franchise going, so I reckon they'll take anything at this point. So I would seriously think about emailing someone for me. Well, yeah, maybe put get, more maybe thought get... into it. <laughs> maybe that's about as much thought as reason why it got back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, so Jamie, why isn't there a... Frankenstein? Talk to me. Where's the Frankenstein movies? So there's a there was supposed to be this Bride of Frankenstein movie because basically they realised that. Obviously, when these these IP was originally acquired, it was very much a male focused lineup. So they decided that the first movie off after the Mummy, especially when you've made your Mummy female, but basically it's Tom Cruise's Mummy, that they should try and make it a more female focused movie. So that's why the Bride of Frankenstein was going to be next up. And like I say, the only cast actually was done at that point was Javier Bardem, who's been in loads of amazing movies. He was recently in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie with Johnny Depp, which when he was being cast as um. As uh, the Invisible Man was kind of connection there, but yeah, there wasn't that other than that. I can't think of. The, oh my god, there was that Frankenstein movie with um, the Victor Frankenstein. Aaron Eckhart in. Is that Victor Frankenstein? Yeah, 2015, was... I think they came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was that's pretty bad. Yeah, it was pretty poor. There haven't been yeah. that many Frankenstein movies actually, like pure Frankenstein movies. Like over the last, I think Frankenstein, the first Frankenstein film was maybe early fifties. I think there's maybe been ten. There hasn't been that many Frankenstein movies. No, was that 1934? Uh, so, oh wow, 31. 31, I wow. believe. Yeah. There you go. Which so, is... Jamie, how do you how do you save the dark universe? What would you do? Right. If that, if it did get can, how would you keep it alive? Right. First of all, hire Kevin Costner. Winner. <laughs> <laughs> Next step. Right. So I've gone a bit back to basics. So the first films that Universal Studios produced from the dark universe were Hunchback of Notre Dame and Phantom of the Opera. Now, obviously, those have been bastardised by Disney and the West End, and that's what people now associate with those two movies. And the whole the whole core of it is that these are two misunderstood, misunderstood people that have been shunned by society, and all they want is to be loved. Well, let's fucking cut that one off straight away. So what's going to happen <laughs> is that these two guys are arseholes, big you know, bastard arseholes. They don't give a shit about anyone. Are they going to be your big bads? Are they going to be your bad guys? Well, but wait, there's a twist. These are the big bads. Oh, my God. But in the whole pursuit of being the big bads, they are experimenting. And they are trying... They they form a coalition, like kind of like how you said. They they come together. Obviously, two arseholes linked together. And this is not... The human centipede, um, <laughs> and so they 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 come together and, and basically through the experiments that they perform, which they're trying to rid themselves of their deformities, because they still want to be loved, but they still hate everyone. So what happens is the hunchback who has felt invisible for so long and unseen by society becomes the Invisible Man. Yeah, plot twist. Whoa! And the Phantom. So Johnny Johnny Depp's your hunchback. There we go, mate. <laughs> Let's see how wow. good his acting is then. Um, and then the Phantom, through you know, again feeling like a monster for so long, having undergone a, a horrendous accident, becomes a further accident and becomes the creature of the Black Lagoon. Boom! My wow. Yeah, and then, there's some inner bits that someone who gets paid a lot of money needs to figure out. But uh, yeah, I'm just an idea. <laughs> I'm just an ideas man. <laughs> yeah, they, they'll they'll work out how it. Happens. That's it. That's Fine. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, you've got a premise there. You've got like you've created adversities for basically Russell Crowe and Tom Cruise and friends to go battle with in some size, shape, or form. There we go. You've got it. Could even be Love a musical, it. mate. 
Yeah, I reckon, I it, could be, I reckon it could be a musical. <laughs> Do you know what? This dark universe is so camp that a musical is probably the best thing for it. Oh my god! You know, they should do. They should do like a a state. They should do a musical about the movie failing. If that makes sense. I like the producers. I like get yeah. Mel Brooks. There we go. Mel Brooks. Oh, Mel Brooks. Make us a musical about yeah. being a Hollywood producer trying to make the dark universe happen and ultimately failing. Fuck it. That's the feature now. That's that's what we yeah. want. We've nailed it. Yeah. Well, it. Use all the characters. Get Peter Crouch cast as the. The monster in Frankenstein. I think that would be good. <laughs> For a second there, I, I thought Matthew you meant the footballer, can. Peter Crouch. <laughs> that is, who that I mean. is who you meant. That's oh, okay. exactly who he meant. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, he's going with it. He's going with we'll, it. Go, we'll go with that then. We we'll go. go with that. As long, so Mel, Mel Brooks. Brooks musical about the, the universe that never happened and uh, Peter Crouch is somehow cast in his first movie role <laughs> on stage in this musical. <laughs> And he switched sides halfway through the halfway through the film. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. You know what? I can't. Yeah, fuck it. You've completed it there, John. Good stuff. There we go. With right. zero preparation. Full circle. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, what would your dark universe adaptation be? Who would be cast in it? Would you recast, or would you continue on the story, or were they right to can it? Get in contact with us on Twitter at TalkFilmy to me. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Hello to the new people of Podbean. My understanding is this week we are being promoted on their homepage under Featured Podcasts. So hopefully you've liked the cut of our jib. If you want to listen to more of it, click on that like, follow, subscribe, whatever button it is that you get more content from Talk Filming to Me. We'll be bringing you recommendations on the latest streaming services that are going. We'll be talking into the deep world of fandom about films that have happened, films that might not have happened, and the things we'd like to see in between all of that. And when the world resumes so does talk filmy to me for the last two and a half years we have bought your pod every week and we continue to want to keep serving you john how can people find you you can find me on twitter at descamento and mr hannon thank you so much buddy always a pleasure how can people find you they can find me at mr hannon in space hannon in space we'll be back next week same pod same other thing that rhymes with that anyway hang in there till next time bye bye